Bleach Report Radio Network is on the air with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is where the Big Blue Nation comes for the latest news and views on the Cats. The show is served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Interact with the show now by tweeting at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. Call us at 877-904-1080. Now, the voice of your Wildcats, Tom Leach. Hello, everybody. A little snowy edition of the Leach Report on a Friday as we roll into a uh, big hoops weekend for the Wildcats. We'll talk about it today as the Cats get set to head down to Florida. Sean Vensel from Hoops Insight uh, will join us with some of his uh, stat analysis. And Mike DeCourcy from Sporting News, Big Ten Network, and Fox Sports. And lots to talk about with Mike as he uh, joins us every Friday here on the show. So that's our guest lineup as we jump right into the Wildcat news of the day. And the big news that caught every Wildcat fan's attention came late yesterday with the tweets about Keon Brooks getting cleared by the doctors to return to the team. So he can get back on the court on the same floor where he had probably his best game. Kentucky coming back from that big deficit at Florida last March. And Keon had a couple of threes and uh, was playing well so well late that Cal was running plays for him. And it was the performance that had us all expecting a big second year for Keon Brooks. Then he gets this injury that sidelines him until now. So uh, we'll talk over the course of the show about what he could mean, what his return could mean to Kentucky in a, a lot of different ways. Um, haven't uh, talked to anybody around the program yet. I would guess that he gets a little bit of a return to action tomorrow and then from there kind of um, sets the ceiling for his minutes himself. Um I would think he's in pretty good shape. He'd been able to do conditioning with the guys, but still it's different from, you know, scrimmaging and, and doing actual game action. So, um, you know, his limits would, minutes would likely be limited because of that, but just, uh, see how, how he looks and then, uh, take it from there. Now, the other thing that's going to be interesting is how does this impact Cal's rotation? Because he'd been kind of locked in on going with eight guys, uh, which uh, with the guys off the bench, Allen, Ware, and Toppin. And Toppin just played really well against Vandy, and Ware played tremendously well the game before that. And now Brooks comes back into the mix. So whether it's this game or a game or two down the road where he's fully integrated back into your rotation, uh, do you expand to nine? Do you kind of go to eight and a half? Uh, do you stay with eight? And then at some point, Terrence Clark will be coming back too. So uh, interesting to see how all that plays out for uh, an improving Kentucky team at the moment. The U.K. women last night took it on the chin at College Station. Number eight, Texas A&M beat the 10th-ranked Kentucky women 77-60. to um, Late third quarter was 47-47. And from there, A&M uh, just dominated the game. Outscoring Kentucky uh, twenty three or twenty or thirty, excuse me, thirty to thirteen. Uh, Coach Blair at Texas A and M says their plan was to wear down Ryan Howard, and uh, she finished with twenty two points, six boards, five assists. But um, some of the reports I read 
observers of the game thought that Kentucky maybe did tire, not just Ryan, but just collectively down the stretch. Um, they played a, a couple of uh, tough games against ranked opponents. Uh, you saw this in in football a little bit back in 07 where Kentucky had uh, a Thursday night game against South Carolina and then uh, the upset of number one LSU and then the game day came to town for the Florida game against Tebow and by the time Kentucky got to the fourth week uh, they were really just spent uh, physically but probably more so uh, mentally and uh, Kentucky uh, had its third straight game against a ranked opponent second uh, straight game on the road and so maybe just uh, worn down a little bit by the schedule there, how it played out. Now, uh, they're supposed to play South Carolina, number five in the country, on Sunday. Uh, there is some speculation that that game might not get to play out, however, because of COVID issues for the Gamecocks. The the men's team has had to postpone their game again. They just got out of a, a COVID pause, and now they're having another postponement uh, in their game against Ole Miss this week. Uh, I guess it was last night. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that for Sunday for Kentucky, South Carolina. Uh, it is scheduled to be played uh, back at home in Memorial Coliseum. New running backs coach Jamal Singleton was introduced yesterday to the media. Uh, he'll also serve as special teams coordinator. Uh, among the things he talked about was his uh, praise for the Kentucky facilities when he came down here to uh, watch Benny Snell's Pro Day a few years back. He was really uh, taken aback by how far Kentucky had come with uh, its facilities and its program under Mark Stoops. So, uh, nice addition, it looks like, uh, for Mark Stoops' staff uh, as we move into the 2021 season for the Wildcats. And our uh, friend Kyle Tucker who joins us every Wednesday here on the show from TheAthletic.com. We always uh, urge you to subscribe to The Athletic. Well, good reason to do that is he's got a great story up about Devin Askew uh, today. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about this uh, when Mike DeCourcy joins us later. But um, really uh, good read with some uh, interesting quotes from not only Devin's dad, but uh, P.J. Washington's dad uh, in the story. So that's at TheAthletic.com. I retweeted it earlier as well. Links to the stories that we talk about can be found on the Bud Light Leach Report page. That's at TomLeachKY.com. Our show coming to you from the Clark's Pump and Shop Studios. It's the Leach Report Radio Network, served up by Wild Oaks of Lexington. We'll be right back. This is the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. You can interact with the show via Twitter at Leach Report. Now, here's Tom. We go to the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline to bring on Sean Vinsel from HoopsInsight.com. Uh, Sean, I think you were with us the week of the Louisville game. We were kind of sizing up where Kentucky was then. After the, the loss at Louisville, uh, I saw where you wrote that uh, it's the offense that was really holding Kentucky back. Their defense was, was good enough to win in that game and, and maybe others, but it was their offense that was holding them back. They played two games since then with the Dante Allen factor uh, figured into the mix. So uh, what are you seeing in the way of improvement? Yeah, I, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. That's a great point. Yeah, I think the, the biggest area for improvement, something I called out, is that Kentucky isn't get, wasn't getting, at the time of the Louisville game, a lot of threes. They were getting a lot of free throws, and they were getting a lot of shots in the paint. And they fixed one of those. They're definitely getting more three-pointers now with Dante Allen helping out. The, the, the team's overall been on a, a hot streak the last two games. and that That's helped, actually. So basically the last 
two games have been actually two of Kentucky's better offensive games of the season. The problem is, they're, at the same time, they've seen a little bit of defensive slippage. Some of that is just, you know, there's been some opponent hot. You know, Vanderbilt got a little bit hot from the outside in the first half, but it's odd. It's a little bit that, that Kentucky still struggles to put together that, that complete game. But I, I think the biggest thing that I've seen that's positive is Kentucky started to move out of shooting so many mid-range shots to shooting a bit more from three and getting a few more shots in the paint. And I think that correlates directly to Brandon Boston and Isaiah Jackson getting a little less time because they are the two, two of the, the three players on the team that shoot the most mid-range shots along with Olivier Saar. And Boston and Jackson are both much worse from mid-range than Saar is. So taking those, uh, the, the shots that they tend to miss, they tend to stay flat taking those out of the offense in favor of more three-pointers uh, is very helpful. And you've seen, like, Saar himself has stretched his range out to three. So I think that's been a, a nice mix. That's something to build on. I'm hoping um, Keon Brooks' addition back into the mix can help that, too, because I'm very bullish that he will be able to stretch his range out to three, which he didn't really have last year. So I, I think they're on the upswing on offense. I think if they can stabilize the defense, uh, to kind of where it's been most of the season. I think you know Kentucky can start to really show some improvement here. With Allen, uh, it occurred to me that uh, on a simple level, analytically, that just the math worked for them uh, because they were scoring under 65 points a game, and you're just not going to be able to, to win consistently uh, doing that. Um, you know, unless you're just otherworldly defensively, or you just you know play at that pay. Maybe you're Virginia could do that, but um, you, uh, you Kentucky needed to score somewhere north of seventy, preferably around seventy-five. And I looked at Allen. The two games he's played, Mississippi State and Vandy's, made twelve of twenty-two field goals. If some, if he wasn't playing, somebody else, combination of people, would take those twenty-two shots, and by percentages. They'd make maybe seven. So there's 10 points, and if a couple of those are three, there's 12 points, and that gets you from 64 to 76. And kind of that's how the math works. Absolutely, yeah. And the fact that he's taking three pointers is you know, an additional benefit, even to that, as opposed to you know, mid range shots or things like that. I mean, if you know, Dante Allen hits 40% of his three pointers and somebody else hits 40% of their two pointers, and Dante Allen's going to outscore them. He actually, in limited time, Dante Allen far and away has the best offensive rate in terms of the points he's producing every time you know, he's either taking a shot or kind of using a possession. He's way above anybody else on the team, just like what you say. So adding that into the mix really helps. Uh, you know, they've got to continue. I, I think there's an overall team-wide focus on some things like you know, drawing more fouls and getting more aggressive going to the rim. I really liked the first half against Vanderbilt. I thought Kentucky had a really nice rhythm early on trying to attack shots in the paint. I mean, Kentucky actually, surprisingly, this year, and it's something that's actually happened for the last several years, Kentucky actually doesn't take many shots at the rim, which is odd for a team that tends to have long athletes, that they continually rank you know, among the bottom half, at least, if not worse, of Division One at doing that. When you're doing things like that, you need to be making up, if you're not taking those easier shots near the rim, you need to be hitting threes or free throws. That, that's where Allen really adds a lot this year, because it just, you know, it, 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 like you said, it's a simple math of what kind of shots you're getting. Let's talk about uh, Keon Brooks. You mentioned him. Uh, it would seem to me that he can help them in two ways. As you mentioned, he's a, a guy that maybe can help them spread the floor a little more, because he uh, ought to, uh, I think he 
hit a couple of threes the last game he played down there at Florida last uh, year, and he looks like a guy that could be you could play at times that stretch four type of role and you know with the improvement of being in the second year i could see him maybe maybe he's a 35 percent three-point shooter on um, his attempts so he gives you that where you could sometimes be a you know a four out kind of team that you really can't be with jackson toppin Ware, or any of those guys at the four and then the other thing he does is if sar goes out he's could be i would think their second most effective low post score it gives you somebody else if SARS out that you could use in the low post. Absolutely, yeah, I completely agree with what you said. There's something interesting is so like last year, Keon Brooks was five of nineteen on threes for the year. Not a lot of attempts, not a lot of makes. You're not didn't profile as a great shooter last year, but a couple of things. One, yeah, he did end the year with a two for two in his last game. But also, I actually looked at uh, when Kentucky forwards come back for a sophomore year under Calipari. And pretty consistently, they tend to take more three-pointers and hit more. And they even are able to hit long twos at a high rate. Wenyan Gabriel did it. P.J. Washington very famously did it. You know, And even a guy like Patrick Patterson, when Calipari came in, Patrick Patterson was almost purely a low-post guy before Calipari came in, but he turned him into a, more of a, a spot-up shooter. He didn't stretch his range out. So I very much expect to see Keon do that, even, even though he didn't profile last year as a real good shooter. I think he's absolutely going to bring that to the team. And then, yeah, I think actually Keon Brooks is was surprisingly last year effective for a guy who was you know, not you know, rather slight of build. He was actually one of Kentucky's better scorers around the rim. And an odd thing is he actually wasn't getting the assists and the alley-oops and things like that that some you know, Nick Richards and E.J. Montgomery were. Keon Brooks was you know, doing more battling in the rim and actually able to finish really well. That's something that I think Kentucky uh, could really use this year because – yeah, you know, guy like Isaiah Jackson is very skinny. He he's still a little bit lost on offense. But if you put a guy like Olivier Starr and Keon Brooks out there, they're two guys who can finish around the rim a little more effectively. I think that's going to also help Kentucky offensively a tremendous amount. That was Sean Vincent. Uh, go ahead. I mean, Keon may even be able to play some small ball center for them. He's a, he's yeah. a very good rebounder for his size. So. We're talking with Sean Vincent of HoopsInsight.com at HoopsInsight. On Twitter, he's just got a post up at his site about the breakdown of the matchup with Florida tomorrow, which we will get into when we return about 23 past the top of the hour. It's the Leach Report served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. We'll be right back. Find out more about the voice of the Cats and get great coverage of the Big Blue at TomLeachKY.com. Back to the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline to chat with Sean Vinsel, HoopsInsight.com. Mentioned you got a post up at your site about the matchup with Florida tomorrow. Give our listeners a, an overview of the key elements for Kentucky to get out of Gainesville with a win. Yeah, so I, th- <clears throat> I think a, a couple things that are going to be uh, huge factors. Florida's defensive style this year. So Florida hasn't been as good on defense the last two years as they were maybe the first four years under Mike White, but Florida's kind of changed up their style a little bit this year. They're very aggressive trying to force turnovers, usually by kind of helping off the ball. What that does, it creates some risk because, of course, Kentucky's been turnover prone this year. You know, Florida's going to try and swarm to the ball, deflect stuff in the passing lane. But if Kentucky can be a little bit patient, that actually leaves shooters open. So the game against Alabama was a great example of this. Uh, Florida lost to Alabama, and a big reason why is Alabama did a lot of five-out offense. The Florida had to, had a lot more distance to cover to try and help, and Alabama would either drive to the basket and score, or they would kick the ball out to open shooters. 
Florida has actually really been struggling giving up a lot of three-pointers in a half-court offense specifically. They've been very poor. Uh, the last three games against SEC opponents, the opponents are hitting about 50% of their threes. And so I think if you've got a guy like Devin Askew who, who has gotten the turnovers under control, if he can, you know, he's pretty good at actually getting into the lane and then kicking the ball out to shooters. If he can do that or you get Kentucky posting up and able to kick the ball out to shooters, you might have guys like you know, Dante Allen able to get open and hit some of those shots. I think that's something to watch for. But the other, the other thing to watch for, though, is Florida is excellent at scoring in transition. In the half court, they're not quite as good. In the half court, they run a lot of pick and roll. Devin Askew is actually an excellent pick and roll defender for Kentucky. And if, if he's guarding Trey Mann, I think that'll gum up Florida's half court offense enough. But if Florida gets transition opportunities, they are one of the very best teams in the country at scoring in transition, especially off of three. They'll run out, they'll They'll get to the rim, but they'll also have that, that guy trailing who's ready to catch a kickout pass and hit it. They are actually much better at hitting three-pointers in transition than they are at half court. So watch out for Florida able to kind of create some of those easy points uh, against Kentucky in transition. If Kentucky can kind of manage the turnovers, though, and rotate the ball around, I'd expect a guy like Allen to probably have a good shooting night. Maybe this will be the night when uh, – Askew and Vince, of course, can hit, but maybe this will be a night when B.J. Boston is able to get out of this slump a little bit because he's not going to have guys closing out on him as well as maybe other teams have done. So he'll probably have some open luck there. As far as defending pick and roll, um, Jacob Toppin, Kentucky used on Pippen in the Vandy game, and I actually thought he he bothered him with his length, that he got a key block there late against Pippen. But I know as some, one of your posts, I can't remember if it was on Twitter or uh, at the site, but you um, were saying that uh, you you weren't a big fan of, of that matchup. I, yeah, I, I wasn't specifically because I think Devin Askew is actually very underappreciated for his on-ball defense and his ability to keep guys in front of him, especially in the pick-and-roll. Devin Askew actually plays um, synergy sports ranks guys according to how they guard different play types in terms of do they allow scores, do they score turnovers. Devin Askew grades out as uh, excellent. 91st percentile, one of the best in the country at guarding pick-and-roll ball hands, and a big reason why is he, he can get across the pick, he can keep the defender in front of him. The issue was Jacob Poppin had to switch a lot more, and Olivier Starr had a couple of fouls that, that, were, uh, that he committed because he switched, he had to guard Scotty Pippen Jr., and, yeah, a lot of these guards in the FCC point guards are very good at drawing fouls on big men if they get switched on to them. And I think that's an area that Kentucky needs to really watch out for because those are cheap fouls. I, a couple of years ago, this was actually a problem. P.J. Washington ran into foul trouble, and it was really because he was, you know, guys were ball handlers were getting in the lane, and P.J. would come over to help. He'd you know, commit a foul there. So if you've got guards that can stay in front of penetration, I think that is more valuable than got to run. Thank you, sir, for the times. Good stuff. Mike DeCourcy's next up on the Leach Report. Can't get to a radio? You can listen to us live on the web at talkradio1080.com. Now, back to the show. From the Clark's Puppet Shop studio, it's the second half of our Friday edition of the Leach Report. Mike DeCourcy joins us on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. You can read him at SportingNews.com, see him on the Big Ten Network, and also you can see him in his role as the bracketologist for Fox Sports College basketball coverage. We'll get to a little bracket discussion later on. But, Mike, let's start with, um, since we last talked, uh, Dante Allen has become a bit of a phenomenon here in the Commonwealth, (laughs) and Keon Brooks is returning. So give me your take on those two. Well, I thought what Dante has done has been remarkable, especially given the, the the focus that 
became lasered upon him as the team struggled to make shots and people looked for answers. And and he was a very popular answer because of his uh, of, of of his origin, so to speak, uh, and and because there he you know the idea that the backup quarterback is always the most popular player in town because you don't know what he can do, but you don't you know he's not the other guy. Uh, and here we have a guy who comes into a game in that circumstance and literally rescues. Uh, the Wildcats at Mississippi State, and then follows it up with a, a very nice performance. I mean, you're not going to have uh, six threes every night, uh, uh, and that that was an astonishing performance. But if you have to rely on someone like Dante to do that night after night, you're probably in trouble. But he comes back the next game and gives you 32 minutes and gives you 14 points and two for five from three and five rebounds. And doesn't and doesn't turn the ball over much. Uh, I, I, that if he could do that or something close to that, uh, they have a real weapon. And then if they can get Terrence Clark on track and healthy, and if they can get Brandon Boston to to start to feel comfortable again, uh, but do, comfortable doing the right things. And then obviously Keon is an enormous part of that. Uh, I, I think at that point you really have the, the makings of of some potential to be to be competitive in the league. I know. That, I mean, I know they've been competitive to date, but you've also been competitive uh, with a schedule that gave you uh, the, the the relative bottom of the league the first few times out. The uh, thing with Allen, I had uh, Richie Farmer on the show uh, Tuesday, I think, talking about the fact that it's not easy to be the guy that everybody's clamoring for, and then to come in and produce. Because uh, yeah. there's an added element of pressure, and uh, Richie, when he you know got his chance, he showed he belonged. Uh, actually, another guy who the other great clamoring that I can remember for a Kentucky kid was actually in football. And it was Tim Couch, and uh, then you know with the coaching change, he got his chance and more than showed that he belonged. And that's uh, easier said than done. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's exactly my feeling about uh, how he was able to do what he did at Mississippi State. And uh, remember, I mean, if he doesn't go out and make six threes, I mean, they, they need a double overtime even with him doing that to win that game. And they needed to win a game to, to believe that that was a possibility. Uh, a lot of what transpired in that one and six was an absence of belief. It wasn't all of it. But it was it was a significant part of, of it as as the as one and one came to one and two one and three and the closer you got to one and six the more belief became an issue and so for him to go out there and do that under those circumstances was really enormous but I, I, honestly I, I'm not even sure that the that the Tuesday performance against Vanderbilt wasn't more impressive because he set his standards so high that it was implausible that he could do that again. It would it would be more common for him to come out the next game, miss his first four shots, Cal to lose confidence in him, him to lose confidence in himself, and then to basically watch whatever happens with the rest of the guys in Vandy as the game proceeds. And instead he comes out and gives a, a highly credible performance, a, a, a game in which he, he was one of the guys who had to be on the floor for them to win. And he wasn't perfect, uh, but he was superior defensively, uh, to some of the other wings, especially the younger guys, uh, he was he was certainly uh, not a, a detriment on offense. The ball flowed through him. 
uh, when he got good shots, he took them. There was maybe one force along the way, but the guy who made six threes the game before probably is entitled to at least one. I thought it was, I, I honestly, I thought the Vanderbilt performance was in some ways more impressive because of what he had to, what he had to live up to with what he did in his first effort. If he was a musician, they'd say he was not a one-hit wonder. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, now you've got Brooks coming back. You've got Dante uh, carving out his role uh, of significance. You've got Brooks coming back. And at some point, uh, Clark uh, will be back. And Cal had kind of locked in on uh, an eight-man rotation. Of um, the other night, it was Allen, Ware, and, and Toppin coming off the bench. But um, now you've add Brooks to the mix, and at some point, Clark. How do you think this all impacts his rotation of, of uh, how he uses his minutes? Well, I think that it comes down to who's producing and 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 who is delivering, and and I think that increases the pressure on on Brandon to 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 produce. I, I you know I, I know he was booed the other night, and I was disappointed in that, Tom, uh, because I thought that. If you watched him in those last two games, if you watched the first seven games, I mean, he was he was out there on his own. I mean, he was doing whatever, uh, doing his deal, uh, and not really, especially on offense, was not really functioning as part of the whole. Uh, but, but I saw a bunch of times, in, especially in the Vandy game, when he was in, like he was at the elbow, and the play was calling for him for the ball to progress through him. But at the elbow in the first five or six games, I mean, it was going up somehow, some way, if he caught it at the elbow. And now, he, when he gets it there, and, and, the, and the progress of the play says, no, it's supposed to go to that guy, it's going to that guy. So I think that that's, I think that's, that's, that's a step forward. It's not a step back. And, and to boo him while he's making a, a step forward is, is unnecessary. He still has a lot of progress to make on defense. It's too easy to get past him for, for what he has in terms of his length uh, and his uh, dynamism. It, it should be nearly impossible to get past him. But he still doesn't understand positioning and balance and, and reacting uh, to what offensive players do. Uh, and I, I think that, that, that will come. But I, I, I think he, he's going to have to start to be – uh, he, he's, he needs to get on the offensive boards more. He had, he had none uh, against Vandy. Again, with his length and his dynamism, and, and especially with his struggle to be a factor offensively in other ways, that's a place where he could really make a difference. He's not going to get every offensive rebound, but there's no reason in the world why he shouldn't be able to get up on the rim and get a tip uh, at least onto the rim, and whether it goes in or not, who knows. But uh, he's not even doing that. So if I think that... Cal definitely wants him to succeed. It's part of the process in terms of uh, recruiting, and it's also part of the, him wanting to take care of the, the young man who invested his future in Kentucky. And, and, and the third element is that if Brandon gets it, he, he gets it at a higher level than anybody else on the roster. I mean, if he gets it, he becomes better than everybody because, that's, because he's got more ability than everybody. So they can't give up on him, but there will be increased pressure on him to produce as the roster deepens. Chat with Mike DeCourcy, and we'll take a break and come back and continue for one more segment when we return on the Leach Report Radio Network. (laughs) 
It's the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. Tweet us at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. Chat with Mike DeCourcy, SportingNews.com. Uh, Fox Sports is their bracketologist. Also, you see him on the Big Ten Network and at TSN Mike on Twitter. We were talking about B.J. Boston going into the break. Um, draft, give me a draft analyst for ESPN. Uh, John Giovanni uh, wrote a story about some of the draft prospects, and part of it focused on B.J. and slipping, not surprisingly, in, in draft projections. Uh, didn't take a genius to figure out that would, would happen. But... Um, he mentioned in the story uh, some made a reference to Kentucky's archaic offense and poor roster construction. And the second one, I think you can uh, debate that without you know to be have a roster that's so new uh, is difficult. Uh, but the first part about the archaic offense sounds to me—I'll get your take on it—a little like the Dean Smith era when you know Dean was the only guy that could hold Michael Jordan to under twenty points. And, you know, he's getting a, a lot of good players. And, yeah, he, uh, you know, Michael Jordan didn't score 30 a game there. But the guys, uh, they won a lot of games, and they were really produced really good pros. So what's your take on that observation? Yeah, I, I, I don't know what the point of that is. Uh, I, 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 is it because they're playing two bigs that, that they're um, – that, that, that now their offense is considered archaic? I, I don't know if that's uh, – you know, they're not the only ones in college basketball that are playing two bigs. Uh, they don't have a lot of great three-point shooters on this team. I don't think that's a secret. That's fair, buddy. Uh, but does that mean your offense is archaic because you don't, you happen to get into a circumstance where you don't have a lot of guys who are making shots? And, and you know, I mean, uh, I'm not sure that Keon doesn't address that to some extent. He's not a, I mean, he's not a, a Steph Curry, but he can make a shot. Uh, I, I I think that was uh, overly harsh and negative, and 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 really, when you think about the the pros that have rolled through there in recent years, and not just going all the way back to John Wall, but I mean, Tyler Hero played in that archaic offense two years ago and was in the NBA Finals a year later as a rookie. Quickly, <laughs> so Emmanuel, I mean, last really, year. did it hurt him? I mean, I I, I don't get that. Uh, I, I think that's uh, I think that's a criticism that is unwarranted and unfounded. Let's talk uh, bracket, and let me ask you from this standpoint, as uh, you're the guy that does the bracket analysis for Fox, um, let's say Kentucky continues its upward trend here, and now Keon Brooks is back, and so they're going to be playing some better teams in recent weeks, and if they continue to do well and Brooks is playing well, all of a sudden do you have a, a case to be made for Kentucky come Selection Sunday that eh, you, you temper those early games a little bit because they played more tougher games than a lot of other teams did, and they had to play them without this guy who's made a difference in them. Yeah, you know, I think maybe less the part about Keon, uh, because it's hard. Uh, you know, people often uh, look at that as as a mitigating factor, and it's hard for it's hard for the committee to mitigate everything. And so they might, in certain tie-breaking situations, say, yeah, but... They, they 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 didn't have this guy or they didn't have that guy, but it's hard for them to do that for everything. Uh, it, 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 in the end, uh, it pretty much is you are what your record says you are. Now, and I, I shouldn't say record. Maybe maybe I should say you are what your resume says you are, because record would simply say you're twenty and five. Boy, you must be great, but you could have beaten twenty uh, D three teams. Uh, so it's not that, but. Uh, the resume and and the challenge that they had in their schedule certainly 
will will be a factor if they're able to put the the losing behind them. Uh, they have to be in order to have a, uh, an at-large case. They have to be extraordinarily successful in the SEC, and that, whether that means winning it or coming very close, uh, I'm, I, I can't say at this point. Uh, but it, it depends on what it would be required to win it, and, and all those sorts of things. But I, you know, I, I, if, if I'm Kentucky right now, I'm two and zero, and also with the nature of the season as it is, we know there's going to be an NCAA tournament. Uh, but what we don't know is, are all the leagues going to go forward with their postseason tournaments, their their own conference tournaments? I, I think they want to, uh, but there are some considerations relative to quarantining or whatever you want to call it in advance of the NCAA tournament uh, that may lead some to abandon that idea. Uh, and so I, I think that the first priority then should be fighting to win the regular season. And I've always been a believer in regular season conference titles anyway. It's all Kentucky has to show for, so to speak, its 2020, 2019-20 season. And, and, and that's, that's a nice uh, thing to take out of what happened a year ago. And this year it could be, uh, one way or the other, the ticket to getting to March. It, it, either as the way that the automatic qualifier is decided or as the way that Kentucky proves that it is an NCAA tournament-worthy team. Kentucky is uh, reportedly going to uh, have a, a Zoom chat with Oscar Sheboy from West Virginia uh, this weekend. Uh, you got the young man uh, that's leaving Houston, um, Mills. Um, you've got a five-star recruit, McDonald's All-American, that I see is leaving Texas, a- Texas Tech. Uh, yeah. All these midseason moves—is that going to be something we'll see more of now with this uh, change in the transfer rule that's coming? I think it will. I, I'm not really sure what the impetus is. I guess people—I guess it's athletes being really unhappy. And I've always one of the things I really never liked, Tom, was the mid-year transfer it, because coaches sold it as, "Look, you don't even have to sit out a whole year." And it, when it when it ended up happening, and got, is guys shorted themselves basically a full season, because you only play a, a small part of one season and then you begin the next season, and so you'd lose a full season. Now, with, with what Oscar's doing, for instance, uh, he loses a half. He loses a half season. He'll play immediately next year wherever he lands. And so I'm not as bothered by it then. I hate the idea that guys are unhappy enough that they have to leave in the middle of the year, but I guess that's inevitable. Uh, it, it happens with regular students, too. So at least now, that's the one part of the uh, immediate transfer rule that I'm that I'm good with because it eliminates this what, what was basically a, a con. Uh, guys thought it was a great deal, and they ended up shorting themselves almost a full year of eligibility. Uh, so now, it, it, guys who leave in midseason because they're desperately unhappy, um, they they can go find new situations and hopefully find greater happiness and success and they don't have to sacrifice that full year, basically that full year of eligibility. Is this uh, change in the rule going to put even a, a greater uh, importance on the, the relationships you build with guys? I think of a guy like uh, you know, Joe Crawford that was here. Joe went home, and uh, I think it was his first year, and was unhappy. And 
ultimately came back and had a, a wonderful career and has great memories of being here. So it's not unusual for guys to, to get unhappy, but now transfers are, are more common and uh, the, the ability to have a guy trust enough in you to hang in there for a little while longer uh, could be a, a big asset. I think it is. I think it's a really important asset. But I think also what will happen, Tom, is that you'll have you'll, you'll recruit players, and you'll, you'll you'll you know it's it's a it's it's no one bats a thousand. So you'll recruit a player, and you'll think he's good enough for you, and then he gets in your system, and you see him in practice every day, and it's almost it's almost in a sense like a tryout, uh, not not the way you know you used to be able to do it back in the fifties or whatever. Uh, bring him in, and, and or even the way we've done it uh, as recently as a couple of years ago, where you come in, you play pickup, and then the guys say he's not good enough to play here, or boy, we got to get this guy. Uh, and and of course the coaches couldn't watch that, but the players could tell you. And so now you bring him in, and he plays for you for a few months, and it's just not there. Uh, and then you, and then he says, I- I've got to go somewhere else. Or you bring him in, and you're not 100% sure, but you've got this open scholarship. You bring him in, and he dazzles you, and you're like, oh, yeah, we got to make sure he stays. we got to get him on the floor. So it, it, those are all elements that will develop out of uh, the immediate transfer rule. Some of them are good, and some of them are what would be filed under the Department of Unintended Consequences. <laughs> Mike, thank you much as always. We'll talk next Friday. Thanks, Tom. Mike DeCourcy, and you can follow him on Twitter at TSN Mike. We'll wrap up this edition of the Leach Report in just a moment. This day in Wildcat history presented by the new Rave On app. 1986, Kentucky was coming off just its second loss of the season when it beat Ole Miss 75-58. to Kenny Walker led the Cats with 31. Uh, no birthdays today in the Wildcat land, but there is one coming up tomorrow. Terrence Jones from the 2012 National Champs celebrates a birthday tomorrow. Uh, so Ashland, the Tomcats, lost their 33-game winning streak in boys' high school basketball. Highlands uh, beat them 84-75. to uh, Quarterback uh, Hendon Hooker, who was the QB for Virginia Tech against Kentucky in the Belk Bowl at the end of the previous season, uh, he is transferred to Tennessee. And U.K. Gymnastics ranked number 12 in the country. Opening the season at number six, Alabama tonight. And it'll be part of the coverage of uh, opening night in gymnastics on ESPNU tonight. Have a great day, great weekend, everybody. We'll be back to recap Kentucky, Florida with you on Monday here on the Leach Report, served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Thanks for listening to the Leach Report. Make sure you check out the podcast page at TomLeachKY.com whenever you miss a show. And be sure to follow the Leach Report Facebook page. If you have a question for Tom, email it to leachreport at gmail.com.